quite committed to writing in the first person because I I want to like reveal that position like that like or make it make it visible that I have a position and that this is coming from someone with biases and experiences and viewpoints and like not nothing like abstract or bodiless Welcome to Tender Buttons, a podcast chatting to writers and artists about their process and politics, with me, Jessica Andrews, and my co-host, Jack Young. We are partnered with Storysmith Books in Bristol, who are helping us to host thinkers in Bristol and beyond. If you would like to buy any of the books from today's episode, as a listener of the show, you can get a 10% discount by entering Tender Buttons at the Storysmith checkout. You can find them online at storysmithbooks.com and they're open locally for click and collect and worldwide for delivery. Ren Aldridge is a vocalist, artist and writer. She's the front woman of feminist post-hardcore band Petrol Girls, whose two albums to date are 2016's Talk of Violence and 2019's Cut and Stitch, which was accompanied by a pamphlet of the same name for Rough Trade Editions. She's a regular writer for Lady Fazine, and her essay, Touch Me Again and I Will Fucking Kill You, Cultural Resistance to Gendered Violence in the Punk Rock Community, was published in 404 Inc.'s award-winning anthology, Nasty Women. Ren Aldridge, welcome to Tender Buttons. Hi! <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming, it's so great to have you here. Because when we started Tender Buttons, one of the main things we were like, interested in is chatting to artists and writers about like their process. So to kind of like take it away from like myth of like the genius individual art making who has this like end product seems impenetrable to people who like are maybe aspiring to make art or haven't like done that before. And so it's been really exciting like coming across your zines and your writing and how like revealing process seems like such a big part of your work and how it's like really embedded obviously in the DIY punk scene. You speak about anti-perfectionism a lot and a desire to like get stuff and ideas out there so the public can engage with it so I guess to start with we wondered if you could talk a bit about why revealing process and anti-perfectionism is important to what you do um I guess the anti-perfectionism thing is also a really personal thing because I like I can be a massive perfectionist um and I think that punk is one of the things that really helped me get away from that and just like you know it can be a bit shit and that's fine you can try um and especially with music I think that 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 was hugely hugely important for me because I was surrounded by like growing up I was surrounded by people um like mostly boys making music who sort of had this idea of it being like you need to be like a virtuoso guitar player to be able to be in a band and stuff like this um and yeah I guess like punk showed me that you you don't you don't need to do that um and yeah I guess uh, revealing process um I think like for me my work's all like like tangled up anyway so I think that sometimes the process becomes part of the like becomes the main thing anyway a lot of the time like I'm thinking about the flag project that I have where I've been cutting up different um flags and then rearranging them like that's gone in all sorts of different directions and we use like footage of that process to make a music video for our song No Love for a Nation which but the lyrics for that came out of describing the process of that project so it, it for me it gets all tangled up anyway I guess yeah I think that's it's really important the thing about um not being a perfectionist because I feel like for anyone making anything like that's always the hardest thing right like the self-doubt and like oh it's not going to be good enough and blah 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 so I feel like that like often like people have great ideas and like lots of great skills and stuff and then they stop because they think it's not going to be good enough Mm -hmm. so I think that's something that's really inspiring about like your work and about like punk and DIY just like you just got to do it yeah exactly exactly just jump in I think um yeah I think especially like if you're like 
a woman or any other kind of like marginalized gender identity, you're like really often like really pressured to like represent that identity and like stuff like this and like do whatever it is like really, really well. But I don't know. I think it's it's like especially if you're like just starting a band or or whatever it is, it's fine to suck for a bit. Like every band sucks when they start. Like we like there's a YouTube video of our first gig, uh, of our first ever gig, and we sucked. And I think that's great because you should suck when you start. Like I think yeah, you got to begin somewhere. Something that's I find really interesting as well is the kind of crossover between you making punk and being in the DIY scene, and then like getting to writing and stuff. So like writing is often something that you do like in a personal space or in a private space and then you're like making it public by publishing it. I don't know if you feel like there's this tension between like the desire to get stuff out there so people can engage with it and it like will twist and turn as other people engage with it but then like vulnerability and terrifying nature of it becoming permanent through writing. I don't know if that's a tension you feel. Mm, Yeah I think I even said something like this at the start of Cut and Stitch like um, I think when I'm on stage and just saying stuff like in the moment um it's very very different from from writing it down and I I do find writing a lot scarier and that that is where my perfectionism does come out again because I like overcheck things but um but yeah no I'm actually also really really careful about what I say on stage as well to be honest I think like there's there's something you said to me before that I was thinking about about like um because in the in the beginning of Cut and Stitch, you say that bit about writing being more permanent. So there's something frightening about that because you can't edit it or take it back. But then I think you also said something before about um, how writing gives you more space to explain yourself. Because obviously, like the lyrics of a like punk songs are short, right? And like you don't have a lot of space to to explain what you maybe to explain what you say with more words. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's something I've been sort of writing about a bit more recently. Um, And I think especially with... Because we're a really political band and, like, all of these issues are so complicated. And I think, like, the more... The longer I'm, like, engaged in political stuff, the more complicated things seem to become. And I think I found it easier in a way because we're writing a new album at the moment... And I sometimes feel like I found it easier to write songs when we first started and like things just seemed clearer to me. And now a lot of things seem like a lot more complicated and it's really hard to get all of those nuances and like different like aspects of things like into into a song, like especially like as I sort of try to get my feminism more intersexual, intersectional and stuff like this. Like it's it's really hard to cram that into a punk song. So I think that's yeah, that's that's another reason why I started talking a lot on stage. Because th- this other thing that I find like really interesting about um about songs is how they change they can change like um like the meaning of lyrics and stuff like this can change depending on like where you're playing them and who you're playing them to and like different things that are happening, like they might become relevant to different stuff. Um, And like that's certainly been my experience with like um, Touch Me Again, for example, like that started off being about one thing, but conversations that I've had with people turned it into being about a whole load of other things like around the slogan, my body, my choice. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, also maybe the idea that once you have, you know, like played a song to a crowd or recorded it, or when you've written something and put it out in the world, then it does take on a different meaning anyway, because people make it like their own. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, it, you have to like, just let let it go and like understand that you like can't can't control what everyone thinks of it. But yeah, I guess like there's... I I guess I would have a sl- I'd have a slight fear of I don't know like I always want to make sure that it can't be co-opted by turfs for example or something like that so that's always like a yeah try and get something in there that means it can't for example with like making feminist stuff so. we will decode this world together we will write our existence in 
thinking as well you know the idea of like passing the mic so important so for those who are listening who might not know what passing the mic is could you like explain it a bit and then more specifically like how you use it or both like practically and theoretically and stuff so um like passing the mic is like just something that like happens at punk shows like the singer will pass the microphone into the audience and offer it um normally to just sing along with the song um but it's an idea that I've been thinking about quite a lot and something that we've been playing with for ages really I think um especially around our song Touch Me Again like I think that was the first song where we did a collaborative video so got people to send in stuff for the video um but that's that's just kind of a visual a visual thing um, and then we started asking people to send in little voice recordings of experiences that they might have had at festivals that we were playing at. So we could then play like specific experiences that people had had of sexual violence in um, in those spaces when we were there. So it became like a site specific thing. After doing those things, I then went and did my master's um, in Glasgow, which was awesome, awesome year. Um, and I ended up writing my master's thesis on the practice and idea of passing the mic and how that could be extended in a way that reflects and develops the counter-hegemonic politics of the punk community, I think was my question. Um, and it was a practice, like an art practice masters so it was written and practical as well um and like for the part of the practical part I did like a voice workshop with um Janie my friend Janie Starling um for first timers fest at DIY space for London um and also got people to contribute to the start of our video for a song called sister um talking about what sisterhood means to them um but yeah oh god like um, I read over my thesis recently and I haven't been I haven't been doing academia for such a long time and I was like, whoa, big words. Um, but um, yeah, I guess passing the mic, it's, it's an offer of amplification. So it's more than this really reductive idea of like giving voice because I was really writing against this idea of like giving voice to the voiceless. Um, there's this Aaron Hattie Roy quote, um, there is no such thing as the voiceless, there are only the deliberately silenced or the preferably unheard. And I I really, um, yeah, use that a lot. Um, so it was thinking about passing the mic as a way of offering like amplification so that people are able, like people can speak for themselves, like, or, or communicate for themselves when they can't physically speak. Um, and it's a question of like, how can you offer that? Um, and I guess, yeah, I was thinking about oh, looking at how that happens in a punk context and um, yeah, how how that can be pushed. So like with the Touch Me Again voice samples um, and how can we like bring other people into the conversation and stuff like this? And I think that something I found really interesting was I realized that I do it for myself as well. And I didn't, I hadn't really realized that before, but I think I find being on stage like quite vulnerable and I find talking about these things quite vulnerable. So it, it sort of, I, I realized that it's quite a reciprocal thing. Like it, it emboldens me as well. Um, and I think that that kind of made it more like an act of solidarity that's kind of both ways rather than this being this like like I don't like the idea of it being like like a charity like that kind of charity act sort of thing. Um, 
Yeah, like it didn't. It needn't be like that. One has to diminish for the other, for someone else to be amplified, right? So it's like within that context. I mean, it's interesting what you you said before as well about kind of the burden of representation. If you have like a practice of passing the mic, then it's not just it's not just your voice that has to speak for or over other voices as well. Does it link as well? Because I know Donna Haraway comes up a lot in your zines and the idea of like becoming with does it connect with that in any way yeah um for sure I think or like I with is probably my favorite preposition um such a weird thing to have my favorite preposition um yeah becoming with speaking with singing it's singing with is is what it is or or in other forms talking with um expressing with um and yeah we use a quote for from Donna Haraway in our song Tangle of Lives we become with each other or not at all um yeah I I just think becoming with like in like I can apply that to so many things for me like I think it applies to the way I think about building political like movements like uh, it's a process of doing it together but it's also like being in a band it's you're constantly developing but you're you have to do it together like you're all completely reliant on each other um so yeah in a few ways um yeah well that's quite interesting to think about how like you work across lots of different mediums right so you're in a band you make visual art you write you know being in a band you're with other people and writing is often quite solitary even if you're linked to other writers but um I think mostly I was thinking about like different ways of being seen or like claiming presence right so obviously when you're singing on a stage you are physically there in the space and how writing is also a way of claiming presence but in a very different way because you're physically absent and I was just wondering Mm -hmm. if you have any thoughts on like the two different the two different kinds of presence Oh, that's such an interesting question. Um, yeah, like I, I've written, I've written quite a lot about voice, um, and the audible voice, and um, the idea that, like, there's a lot of um, theory around voice about it being um, relational and unique, and it, like, when when I speak or like, especially if I'm on stage and you can see me speaking, it's like really clear, like the position from which I'm speaking in a lot of ways. Like you can see, you can read a lot of things about me and my voice gives away like a lot of things. Um, And with writing, I mean, this is why I'm quite committed to writing in the first person because I want to like, reveal that position like that like or make it make it visible that I have a position and that this is coming from someone with biases and experiences and viewpoints and like not nothing like abstract or bodiless um which I I mean this was something I first started thinking about in terms of like academic writing and like it's often very third person very like removed as though like oh god what's the word as though it's objective and I don't really believe in objectivity I don't like and I think it's often like a mask for um this like universalism that in turn is often like a mask for like hegemonic ideas like patriarchy or colonialism or whatever um so I think yeah like that's one direction, I guess. But I feel like your question's bigger than that. Um, presence and absence. Huh. I guess it's also like a time-based thing, isn't it? Because with a, like, with a book or like with a piece of writing, you, you're present as and when that person comes to it. And then on stage, you're, you're present for that moment. Um, so it's a lot more immediate um, and you can react to things in real time. I mean, it's also to do with like reaction to 
um, an audience. And I think that that when I write something, I always send it to loads of people because I need like some, I need some immediate feedback because I'm used to that from stage. Like you get very, very immediate feedback from people. Whereas sometimes when you're writing, it's just like, and it's gone. And like, I mean, I guess with social media, you do get like a little bit more back from people, but yeah, I don't know. I think I view like making all of this stuff as always being part of a conversation. So the conversation when it's to do with writing is a lot sort of slower, which I think is also a good thing sometimes because sometimes you need time and like sometimes that gives you time to not, I don't know, to not react purely from a place of emotion. Not that that's a bad thing either. It's complicated. interesting thinking about like the individual and the collective as well because obviously being at a gig it's a collective experience but you can also have a very like personal individual relationship with the music and how writing is a very individual experience but it's also not because it only makes it only works if it connects to something larger than itself this isn't really a question. <laughs> it's just a yeah. There's thought. kind of like different intimacies as well, isn't there? Because like as a reader, right, you can feel like you have an intensely personal connection with the thing you're writing because it like resonates with you, or like you feel seen through like that writing in a way that you might never have been before for whatever reason. But then like for the writer, you don't get that click in the same way that you might like the write the reader does in that intimate like private zone or whatever. But I suppose at a gig, it's like, like you're saying, when like in the moment it's there, that like tangible physical connection. And so there's like that intimacy going on, which is like happening like in real time in a different way, I guess. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it reminds me of there's Rebecca Solnit wrote something really like really poignant about that oh, something like something about writing being like a disembodied which like might be like not how you feel about it at all Jess um about writing being this like really like a disembodied kind of form whereas like dance and music ah oh, spoke spoke to the body before the mind that's a really bad paraphrasing of that quote but it was something along those lines and it just made me think of that well, it's interesting if you think as well of about like being a woman and having a body. So when you stand on stage, like you're very much within your female body. When I published Saltwater, I wasn't going to have a, a photograph in the in the back cover because I felt like, oh, that it's like a chance to speak without your body speaking first. But then when I thought about it, like your your body is is in kind of what you were saying about like you can't write something that your body is not in because all of your experiences are coming through that anyway i mean to go the to go in the other direction i guess like when i'm when i'm on stage i am like i i can i i really enjoy playing with gender stuff on stage like I'm aware that like what I do on stage is like very aggressive and could can be considered quite masculine and especially like vocally it's like a growl or a, or a scream and stuff like that. I mean not that there aren't loads of women and other genders doing that kind of stuff but like it it is like quite a it's it's kind of macho in a way and like I really enjoy wearing sequined hot pants or like I've got like a little leopard print dress and stuff like that and like especially if we're doing a support slot I I love playing with I really enjoy playing with people's expectations with that kind of stuff I find it really really fun um and like 
I don't know, just, yeah, playing with what they think is going to happen. One thing, because one thing I was struck at, maybe it was in Curtain Stitch, but I can't remember exactly, was kind of you saying that with your writing, you wanted to like bring the Riot girl spirit from your DIY punk world into writing. I was interested to think about how you go about that. Like, how do you tr- channel the Riot girl spirit in your writing? I, I mean, it goes back to just trying to not be afraid to try. Um, and yeah, to not, to not be afraid to tackle like big, topics and stuff like that um and to feel like I've got like every right to like have an opinion and like have a say on that but I'm trying to think about it I think it's also a a kind of style thing as well and like I mean it's something that I've only really started consciously thinking about in the last year like my writing style and stuff like this because I think it's a really weird mishmash of like a zine a kind of classic zine style um and like sometimes my academic writing style like creeps in um and I think that I know that I write with quite a lot of quotations um like I, I constantly like pulling different things together and I guess it's it I mean, the way I write is kind of like a cutting and stitching as well, because I I tend to like research what a lot like what different people think about stuff or like I'll read one thing and like it will click with something that I've read from somewhere else. And then I'll like whack them together and stuff like this. And I think it's kind of this like collage aesthetic that's like a very punk and like Riot Girl aesthetic that's then kind of present in the way that I write as well um and yeah I guess also the like um well no I don't think using first person is like a riot girl thing but like there's definitely like a um like confessional kind of thing to riot girl that I think I have always been quite quite drawn to yeah, it was a collage and like using lots of quotes and like bringing in different people who you're engaging with in your writing. I guess that extends as well for like your ideas around like having the conversation, but like that can happen on a page if you're specifically bringing those writers onto the page, you know, like acknowledging those influences and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I, th- I think acknowledging influences is like is really important. I think Sarah Ahmed's written quite a bit about that, like, um, and like trying to make, I mean, it's, it can be sometimes quite hard to do, but try to not just like take ideas off of people, but rather like acknowledge, like, and reference where those ideas come from and how that's been built, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of work that goes into this stuff and it should be acknowledged. Also, I guess, like you've spoken and written about a lot kind of the the DIY ethos of like learning by doing uh can you explain what that means I guess it's kind of kind of connected to like an kind of anarchist philosophy as well principles that the punk community operates on like um I don't know like being anti-sexist like trying to be anti-racist like all of these kind of things they're not um like it's not about going and reading a book about it and then it's about practicing it and like having conversations with people um and yeah it's it's being active I guess like um actively taking part in the I mean the DIY scene tends to be rooted in a in a wider political scene or like the same thing and it's often centered around spaces that are also used as activist hubs and I think that's probably where it it comes over it's not like go and read an anti-fascist book it's like go to your local anti-fascist group and and get involved and like go to meetings and like learn from hearing from other people and like reflecting on actions and like trying to make active active changes and I think like 
um, DIY is about it's creating your own culture, and I think that that's part that's part of creating political change. Like one, because I believe culture can create political change or contribute to it. Um, and also because it can serve as a kind of practice or like empowering experience that if you think, oh, I can make my own music, then what else can I make? Like we can make our own community, we're making our own communities. So, I mean, that's already, that's already politics in action. Yeah, also it's it's really empowering like to to like document your own culture as well, right? Because if you if your culture hasn't been represented or whatever, you just feel like oh, this isn't meaningful. You know, so it's really powerful to create your own culture and then also to document it by making art, I guess, because that makes you feel like it's valid, even the act of like verbalizing it or you know, putting it into images or yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, and I think there's been loads of efforts recently to do better with that in the punk community. Like, there's that polystyrene documentary that's just come out, um, and like, yeah, I guess there's been like Riot Girl would be another example of like, you know, like when the scene was really like super macho and male dominated, like, like creating and at the same time recording like the history of like women and other genders involvement so absolutely also I think the like the marriage of like having an academic background which you do and then also being an activist or being involved in the community is really important right because academia while it's really important it can sometimes feel so distanced from like reality yeah 100% I mean they can they crossover and, and all of this sort of stuff and there's you know activism that can and needs to be done like within academia as well but I think I really appreciate both both aspects of my life like I'm definitely I haven't been in academia for for a couple of years now and I really miss it I really miss the like having those like big com conversations again like I just really miss talking to people about like big big ideas and big topics and then but I also really appreciate like the immediacy of activism and it's I mean it's also it's just necessary like so many things are really really urgent and and need immediate action so both for sure I've seen Petro Girls play quite a few times and you always do um like a speech about consent in the middle of your set um which I know is a really important part of it um, and I know that you you are also involved in the Solidarity Not Silence campaign at the moment. And it, it kind of seems like, obviously, all of this stuff was happening like years before the Me Too stuff happened, but almost the work that you were involved in kind of like preempted what was to come. So, so, so I don't know if you want to explain what the campaign is. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm I'm one of the defendants. Um, and we're a group of women being sued for defamation um, by a man in the music industry. <laughs> I have to say the script because of comments that we each made separately um, regarding his behaviour towards women. Um, and that was four and a bit years ago. Um, and yeah, we're still still fighting that case. And just in December, Petrol Girls released um a song i believe them um like about that experience basically and um to try and raise further awareness of our crowdfunder and stuff like that because we that we haven't been able to get any any legal aid it's very like almost impossible to get legal aid for a civil defamation case um so we've had to pay the lawyers for first ourselves but it's it's the money is absolutely wild it's it's such huge amounts so we've crowdfunded and it, I can't believe how well it's gone like we've been able to crowdfund a really significant amount of money um but we we need more like to get it to court we need more and I think especially for the survivors in our group um it's it's just really important that we maintain legal representation and we need to keep paying them in order to do that 
because otherwise, um, because he's representing himself, um, we'll end up in direct email contact with him and that would be like just a total, total nightmare. So um, we are raising money at Solidarity, um, www.crowdjustice.com slash case slash Solidarity Not Silence. Um, and yeah, we just, even if you can't donate, it really helps to spread the word about our case because then maybe someone who can, um, will donate and yeah, just hope in the next year we manage to get it to court, win it and then it's done because it's been just like, it's been just so exhausting and taking up so much of my time and energy and, and creative efforts like so much of what I've done creatively recently has been geared towards fundraising so yeah it it would be it'll be great when it's over I know you've spoken as well a little bit about like the I like the the tension between like telling your story and why that's really important but also kind of like the the burden or the expectation of like performing your pain and I think that's it's an interesting and difficult place to to sit at like at what point is this cathartic at what point is it exploitative you know like I was just wondering if you have any thoughts on that kind of intersection oh god so many um I think when I first started doing um petrol girls particularly I didn't really have any I didn't even know what boundaries were um and I think I found a lot of power in sharing my experiences sharing them quite explicitly um and at some point it it stopped well it doesn't completely stop but it becomes more and more exhausting I think to share that kind of stuff so I think I've definitely stopped speaking like or writing very explicitly about my personal experiences um but it's still it's still really powerful to share those I mean like with the me too thing like it it's very painful but it's also incredibly powerful to stitch all of those stories together and to make make visible like once you once you make something visible or like tangible or audible or whatever then you you make it something that's you're able to fight and and to think through and to see patterns and and all of this sort of stuff so oh uh, yeah i think it's i think it's really complicated and i think that it is like now I wish I wish I could go back and tell myself to take a little bit more care um because I think that I mean I've I've just come through a really awful mental health patch and I think that what I do with the band has not always been fantastic for my mental health nor has this legal case um but yeah I think it's just always more complicated always more complicated because I think it was I think it was some maybe it was in salt water but it was something that you wrote Jess about yeah but I think it was about your mum putting makeup on and like something about that made me think about like the power in like in putting on a mask or a block or like something that like that that's also a very valid way of going through things and stuff like this I think I used to think that you know you should always share and always talk about it and stuff like this but but I think that that was one of the things that I read that made me think that that's not always the case and that you know it's also not always safe for people either Hmm. I I think that that's something that I've learned as well like because because I wrote a book that was really autobiographical and I could, I just like spoke about everything so honestly. But then it's like, at what point, at what point does it become exploitative? <laughs> like you're almost exploiting yourself. 
you know it's like yeah maybe there's a point where you have to step back and think okay but what am I trying to do and what things will help me do this and what can I kind of like keep for myself yeah for sure and I think you you sent me like that really helpful article about it like um protecting the writers in a life or something like that a while ago which like thinking about that stuff's been so helpful for me especially because like I like wanted to write about my abortion and but what but but I left it a really long time and I think before I did and I think that gave me the distance to be able to to write about it in a more useful way and to think about like okay but what is my why do I have this urge to share this experience and like it's definitely like you know, wanting to contribute to a conversation that's like, this is really normal and it should be really normal and we need to fight for the right to for it to be normal everywhere. And it's not always necessarily a super traumatic experience. It can also just be totally fine. Um, but I think having taken some time and like thought about it, yes, I don't know, sometimes sharing's powerful as, as well. It's, it's, so, it's so complicated. I mean, it links to what you were saying, like as writing been a, like a longer, a longer and slower thought as well. And maybe different, maybe different things fit the different forms better. Like maybe some things are better in a song and some things do need a bit more time. Like, But also, I guess, like, you know, in terms of like zine culture, well, with your zines, as I understand it, like you often bring them out, like when a new album's coming out or you're going on tour and stuff. So it's like capturing that particular moment and where you're at both like musically but politically like what work you've been doing or so maybe the zine form actually captures that like ongoingness a bit better than like a a novel could yeah I mean they're definitely like made in a very short time frame like I I I mean I, I would really like to do something that I worked on for for a longer amount of time but I tend to I'm also quite bad with deadlines, so I tend to sort of... I mean, I have actually printed a zine on tour before, um, like, because I hadn't quite finished it and I was finishing it in the van and then printed it, like, when we got to London. But, um, yeah, I think there's there's definitely, an imme- like, more of an immediacy to zines. Um, but then it's also not as immediate as chucking it on the internet. Or it's more... And I think also because I find... Like, I don't go on the internet so much anymore. I find it quite a scary place. And I think that, like, printing, writing gives you the opportunity to have a, have just a little bit of a barrier. Because if, like, if you post something, then any anyone will comment on it, regardless of how much they care about the issue. Whereas if someone takes the time to actually like send you an email about something that you've written, and I try to always put my contact details in there, then that's like that's a lot more considered. Um, and I think so. I think it gives me some protection when I'm talking about, you know, issues like sexual violence or like abortion or like things that can be quite personal. And then I guess because because you know like handing out the zines or people buying them at your gigs it like also gives a legacy to the like ephemeral nature of the gig where like really special things could happen but then like people could go go away with that zine and there'll be a legacy or like reverberations for them to like engage with your writing after the fact of the performance yeah and I think yeah I also like I I really like I think I care so much about the politics that I'm trying to get across that like I I just try and get it out in every means possible and I think you know it's the same reason that I speak on stage like if you just if you just sing a song about it like people won't necessarily always get what you're on about um so I think it helps to talk about it but then also yeah if you have this like physical form then then yeah, people can can take something away and sometimes it, it gives you the opportunity to digest something a little bit more and, and think about it a bit more clearly and, like, 
you know, we try to bring like flyers or like sometimes we sell Strike Mag or it's not Strike Mag anymore, is it? It's um, Dope Mag um, and like different things like that at merch just to try and like reinforce reinforce what we're trying to get across and like give people other options or like invite campaigns to be there at the gig so that it's not just it's not just um saying about it from the stage it's like look and here's things you can actually do about it going back to talking about kind of mental health that in one of your zines um there's a quote that you mentioned depression is anger with its teeth pulled out and um, you talk about that you love kind of like hardcore punk and heavy music because it's a way of sort of releasing all of this anger and aggression. Um, and I guess I was interested in like the role of anger, like particularly within like a, a male dominated space or scene and, and like, yeah, how do you feel about anger? <laughs> um, I think it's... Yeah, it. I mean, it's just such a gendered emotion, like, in terms of, like, the way that different genders are expected to express it um, or not express it. Um, and I think that Petrol Girls was based on anger. <laughs> like, I think I was... I was furious when I started Petrol Girls. Like, I was a little raging ball of fury because because I was in a scene where I was constantly being told to shut up like I was around a lot of older men at that point in my life and they were always telling me to shut up like or be quiet even when I was trying to talk about things that I felt were really really important like um and it it's really interesting like how people suddenly listen to you once you've got a microphone. Um, but it's also, like, a kind of... Um, it's an emotion I think you have to be quite careful with, and I think that I've really burnt myself out on anger. Like, I think that... Like, only anger is not sustainable... And I think that our second album, Cut and Stitch, was on reflection a lot about sustainability in like in like loads of different like understandings of that term. And, and one of those really being like, how do we sustain, um, yeah, p- a political fight or political action? And I think that, you know, shouting about things is important and it can be powerful but I also wanted to use my voice in different ways and try speaking or singing and things like that and and I don't think it's a case of valuing any form more than the other it's just that different ways of using using your voice and things like that can um have very different effects and I think like sometimes like saying something quietly can be just as powerful as shouting it and I, th- I think that's also kind of like a a gendered thing as well and yeah I don't know now I'm just thinking like maybe I started shouting because I was in such a macho space at the time and that was the like that was the tool that I had available to myself and I mean it's also interesting as well because shouting is painful sometimes like I've definitely struggled with losing my voice and 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 all of this kind of stuff and like I'm it's like I'm expressing myself but I'm also I physically hurt myself a lot on tour like vocally but also like my whole body aches like it's it's not it's not something that I'm going to be able to do in that way forever like physically it's not going to be possible and I think that maybe is why I got drawn to writing because like that's something that I will will hopefully always be able to do um and it doesn't physically hurt me as much um but you know it's also like a cathartic pain I'm not saying it's like always bad I quite like the post-tour ache it's also about learning like learning how to externalize your anger right because I think I had to learn I had to learn how to be angry and I learned it quite late like in my early 20s 
writing is a way of externalizing anger for me in a way that's been really useful not to generalize but I think it is true of a lot of women particularly like it was all internalized my anger like it was like self cannibalizing no absolutely I yeah I can I can really relate to that I think that I've like learned a lot over the years like I used to sort of like hold it in hold it in hold it in snap like and then like yeah god help anyone that was anywhere near me like whereas I think that yeah I think now like it's taken me a really long time and a lot of a lot of work to it's assertiveness I think is something that I find like is the the difficult like a, a really difficult thing to like I think that I'm very like don't say anything don't say anything and explode and it's been like really helpful to learn about like assertiveness over the years and like I think that's kind of reflected in in the music like I think that the early stuff is like an explosion whereas now I think it's a lot more a lot more considered and I think it's all it's all valid but I think that I'm learning to do it in ways that are healthier for me if you if you could share a piece of advice about like making stuff what would it be just try like try and like and yeah like accept that if you're doing something for the first time you're not going to do it really really well and that's okay and like you know I think accept like accept criticism and think about like who who do you care about having criticism from like I think that's something that I've like learned a lot through Petra Girls like I don't care what like some like whiny men think about what I'm doing like I don't care like but I do care about what particularly like if you know if I've done something that's making life harder for someone that's got that's more marginalized than I am or something like that like that that I care about and like that's criticism that I'm going to listen to so yeah I think yeah that would be be my advice think about think about what you care about and don't care about all of it (laughs) 